Morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. Had a great weekend spending time with men in our church. Um, and uh, we had a wonderful time, good study, good fellowship. Um, some are sore this morning from hanging off of towers yesterday. And uh, the ones who smiled at me just now are the ones who are sore right now. Um, and uh, but we had a had a wonderful time just uh, fellowship with with one another. Um, you know, I, I want to just point out the honesty of the men in our church. Uh, we had two dorms, and Josh assigned them the snoring dorm and the non-snoring dorm. And by all accounts, everybody who said they didn't snore didn't snore. Okay, And everybody who said they did snore, they were telling the truth. Okay, Yeah, and I was in that one. Okay, <laughs> I was in that one. I knew where I belonged. So, uh, but anyway, we had a wonderful time. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, and we're continuing to look at this narrative and see in it the providence of God, uh, but also the kindness that God utilizes to channel his providence to his people. Uh, he is uh, a God who knows what we need before we know what we need. And uh, we've looked at some of the background. We're going to uh, traipse over some ground that we've covered already, but we're going to look um, uh, beyond that into the rest of chapter 2, and we'll finish up chapter 2 today. Last week, we noticed the providence of God, particularly how it can be both bitter and sweet. It can be both bitter and sweet. It was certainly providential that Naomi and her family encountered the trials that they faced when they were in Moab, and it was certainly providential that they came back to Bethlehem. This week, I want us to uh, consider how God's providence and the actions of others are intertwined. I, I want us to think about how God actually brings his provision into our lives through the goodness of others, the action of others, is most often how God delivers his provision into our life. We're going to see that uh, today, I believe. There's a Hebrew term that's used three times in the book of Ruth uh, that helps us to understand this concept. Uh, the, that term is hesed. If you want to write it down, transliterated, it's H-E-S-E-D, hesed. There's no single English word that defines it. Uh, it's a concept, if you will, of... Uh, that we see both in God's activity and action as well as in our own activity and action. And so let me take a moment to break down the meaning and kind of explain that to you before I get into the text. Uh, first of all, um, it is a covenantal word, okay? It's a covenantal word. Hesed takes place in 
a relationship, a covenant relationship, if you will, like between God and his people. It's not limited to that, but that's where we see it most often in the word of God. Um, it, the word is used 246 times in the Old Testament. And it is always in relation to covenant and in relation to relationship. It expresses the relationship that God has with his people and the acts he does by his own hand for the good of his people. The word is often translated steadfast love. Okay? It's often translated steadfast love. An example can be found in Exodus chapter 15 uh, in the Song of Moses. Y'all may remember uh, the, the scene of this where uh, they have just left Egypt and they've crossed over the Red Sea and the waters poured back over Pharaoh's army. And Moses breaks out in song, we see. And in verse 13 of chapter 15, he says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You have led your people in steadfast love. He said, How do you do that? He called a guy named Moses and he sent him to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, hey, let my people go. And in the faithfulness and the love that, Pharaoh, that Moses had for God, he obeyed God and he did uh, what was right. And it was through this person, the deliverer Moses, that's how he's referred to. God worked and pulled the people out of Egypt and took away the threat of Pharaoh's army. So God showed his steadfast love and how he accomplished that is he called Moses and used Moses to do that. So it's a covenantal word. As I've said, no one word defines has said, but it is expressed as kindness, faithfulness, loyalty, goodness, mercy, love, and compassion of another by another. Okay? Of another by another. Love one another. The concept of hesed is in that commandment. That you love one another care for one another, that you do good to one another, that you be at peace with one another. While we're on this, let me point out the three times that this word is used so that you can see it in its context in this particular narrative. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 8, I pointed it out when I uh, began this series. It says in verse 8, But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. And then she calls a blessing on them. May the Lord deal 
has said kindly with you as you have dealt with me, uh, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And so we see here this kindness being expressed. She wants the Lord's kindness to be on them. And then in today's text, uh, Ruth 2.20, we see and uh, where it says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, there it is, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Uh, we'll deal with that when we get there later today. Uh, but she is uh, asking that the Lord bless Boaz, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And then in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 10, we see Boaz speaking to Ruth. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So we see in Ruth it's most seen as kindness or loyalty, goodness, faithfulness. And so I want us to see that, and that is how God often channels his providence into our lives, and he does it certainly in Ruth's life. So I, I want us to take a look at this today. And I've entitled this message, A Better Day. A Better Day. Uh, years ago, a TV series came out simply entitled, 24. Anybody remember that? No? All right. Well, just me and Gina were the only pagans that watched that, I guess, okay? Uh, but 24, the whole season was about a 24-hour period, and each episode covered one hour in the day. So at the end of every episode, there was this tension, all right? And every, I mean, every hour, it seemed like every hour, okay, the aim was to see how many people Jack Bauer could take out, all right, in an hour. So by the end of the day, the body count had really stacked up, okay, but you didn't know until you got to the end. And at the end, there was to be this resolution, of victory, this resolution that all would be well. That was the expectation in the show, that the good guys would win and the bad guys would be defeated and that tomorrow would be a better day. I don't think Ruth necessarily had the concept that after this day, this is one day that's taking place in chapter 2, by the way. It is one day. That by the end of that day, a great hope would have been found. I don't think she thought that when she got up that morning. And so I, I want us to see 
that it was through the kindness of others and her own kindness that God brought about a wonderful revelation into the life of this young girl. Her day would turn out better than she expected. Being kind, being faithful, being loyal, doing good is the conduit of God's provision. And I want us to see that in the intentional industry of Ruth. Okay? I want us to see it in an opportunity uh, for kindness presented to Boaz. And I want us to see the hope for life in Naomi. As we trek through this this narrative this morning. First, Ruth was intentionally industrious. We talked about that a little bit last week. But she got up, driven, I believe, by said, driven by loyalty, uh, driven by love for her mother-in-law. She got up and went to the field. Hey, Naomi, I'm going out to the fields. Okay. She's going to glean. And Ruth going out to glean, I mean, imagine for a moment that you're a businessman and you hire reapers and they go through the field and they're, they're harvesting, they're reaping. You want to hire the people who are going to get everything they possibly can and leave the edges for, they, they have that instruction. Don't leave a whole lot falling down, okay? If you don't let it fall down, you don't have to leave it there. So a good businessman wanted those sheaves taken out and bundled up and put up on the cart and taken on. And so the thought of coming along and gleaning, not reaping, but gleaning, is that you're only going to get some because there's other people, there's competition. All right? There's competition gleaning going on. All right? I don't know if there's any trophies handed out for that, but there's competition gleaning. There's other poor people and other sojourners there in the fields of Bethlehem that are coming through and trying to get all that they can get. So maybe Ruth was expecting to gather maybe a jar full of barley so that they could have a couple of days, a few days to live on and to eat. And so uh, she went out uh, with this expectation. The barley harvest would provide greatly for the owners of the fields, but for those who gleaned would only get a fraction, a small fraction of that harvest and after the gleanings were gone and they were limited, they weren't going to be there for long. After they were gone, she would have to, they would have to purchase grain in the market. And Naomi and Ruth didn't have a lot of financial means, I would suspect. And so hunger was a day away for them in their circumstances. 
But there was Ruth out there, out in the field, starting at the edges and then coming along behind the reapers to gather up whatever they had dropped because they, they were commanded not to go back and pick it up. Understand this loyalty that she had in going out, she was putting herself at risk. Risk of injury, risk of assault. We pick that up over in uh, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 22, where Naomi says to her, stay in this field so that you're not assaulted. There was a danger for her. One, because she was a woman, but mostly because she was a sojourner. She wasn't part of Israel. She was a target for some men who would have poor intentions. That's later implied when Boaz charges his young men, don't touch her. And let her get the water she needs. And so what we see is we see that she had gone out to make provision. What was her confidence that she would gain and get those things? What was her confidence in doing this? She was motivated by love, but her confidence in doing it, I believe. Boaz states later on that she had come to find refuge under the wings of the Lord. And she got up and went out to get it. It's what we talked a little bit more about last week. So in her industry, she is showing this loyalty and this love. She is uh, living out this hesed, if you will. In order to make provision for Naomi. Maybe I'll bring back a little jar of grain. But then something happens. I mean, she goes out there, and in verse 2, she, she sets out. She gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come part of, to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. We already knew, know that. He's been introduced in the first verse. So we see this intentional industry of Ruth, but we see also an opportunity for kindness in Boaz's life. Just an opportunity presents itself. We need to understand that God certainly is behind this in his sovereignty and in his love. But also he is using the everyday activities of people. Just the everyday activities, the food gathering. The everyday activity of a landowner and a farm owner going out to check his crops and to check on his workers. And it's in that everyday activity that we find Boaz finding an opportunity to care for someone and provide for someone. We can make this assumption that Boaz lived in Bethlehem. It says... Uh, and verse 4, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to his reapers. We can assume by that that Boaz lived in Bethlehem and was coming to the fields to inspect the harvest, to check on his workers, 
to see if they needed more reapers, perhaps. Is the harvest that good that we may need some more reapers out here? He was a businessman, if you will. We know that he was wealthy, and we know that he had integrity. And so he came out, and when he gets there, he asks about a woman who he hasn't seen before. And they tell Boaz, this is, uh, she, she's here, she's a Moabite, she's here with Naomi. And Boaz had heard the story. He had heard what had happened. He had heard that Naomi had returned and that Ruth had returned and that Naomi's sons were dead and her husband was dead. The narrative kind of gives some implication that she may have been walking away at the time that Boaz spoke to her. The implication of that comes from uh, what he uh, spoke concerning his servants. Look with me, if you will. I got to find it. I didn't write it down. Uh, look with me, if you will, at verse 9. Uh, look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men have drawn. The implication of that could be that she had encountered some issues. She had been there long enough to have had to take a short break. The way that they spoke of her spoke of the, uh, that they were impressed with her work ethic. But it could be that she was walking away and Boaz said, hey, come here. Let me talk to you. He said, he said I've, I've given them instruction. Don't touch you and they'll let you get to the water. Perhaps the short break that she took had been an opportunity for the young men to make unwanted advances on her. Even Naomi knew the danger of assault that she faced when she went out. But her loyalty and her love for her mother-in-law pushed her forward. Perhaps her attempt at getting water whenever she needed is one of the times when this happened. Boaz goes on and he says, I, I've heard about your situation with Naomi. And he was obviously moved with compassion and offered Ruth to stay in, in his field with his women and reap after them and to get water whenever she needed it. Boaz is putting forward an opportunity. He's got an opportunity to share, to minister, to care for. And he takes it. From last week, we remember that she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? I've heard about what you've done. I've heard about how you care for Naomi. 
And I know that you've come seeking refuge. That's why. That's why he was doing this. I mean, here's this opportunity. Boaz didn't go out to the field and say, let me go look for an opportunity to show favor to someone. He was doing business. But he had that character, that integrity in him. That when he saw need, let me help. And in that, God was helping Ruth. Ruth was doing what she was doing to provide for Naomi. Boaz was doing what he was doing to provide for Ruth. And God was doing what he was doing to provide for his people. Not only during that time, but in the days to come in Christ coming to this world. Chapter 14, we pick up, and it says, at mealtime. The phrase itself, at mealtime, indicates that there's a gap between what Ruth said in verse 13 and what takes place in verse 14. So there was time where she gleaned and gathered before this mealtime. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread. And dip your morsel in the wine. I'm pretty sure that she didn't bring her lunch that day. They were impoverished. Both the bread and the wine were provided. The wine, by the way, was more than likely a byproduct of wine making and more like a vinegar than anything. It would have provided a tart taste. And that's something that they often did was dip the bread into something and eat it. And so he provides lunch. He invited her to eat with the reapers, it says. Come here and have some bread. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her some colo. I don't know how to say that. Colo, you know. We get it, roasted grain in Ethiopia. Y'all bring it back all the time. You know, those of you who have been there, you know, I can't do the little click that you have to do before that, and it goes along with that, but I just call it colo, like a good East Texan, all right? And they take these different types of grain, and they roast them, and they're very good. And I suspect that's what this was. And she took it, and she began to eat it. Can you can y'all see this happening? She took that, and she began to eat it and enjoyed it, and She had enough bread and enough roasted grain uh, that she had some left over. This perhaps is the first instance of a doggy bag. I would call it a doggy bag. We don't take it home and give it to the dog. We eat that stuff, okay? We warm it up the next day. But she had some leftovers. I'm sure she wrapped that up in a towel or a rag, and she was going to carry that with her. When she rose to glean, in other words, she perhaps wasn't there. That's the implication. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men. When she got up for lunch, she went back out to the field to glean. and said, let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. 
and do not rebuke her. I mean, he's saying, look, I want you to cut some down and just leave it laying there for her. And I want you to take some of these bundles and I want you to put them out for her to take. Boaz is taking the opportunity to make provision for you, Ruth. He's basically giving her a job day in and day out. Come here and you follow my women. You go with my women that are reaping. Evidently there were men reapers and there were women reapers. And they were probably in different parts of the field. And she said, follow the women. You get the water from where the men are, but you stay over here with the women. I'm sure that was for her protection. He's made the provision of lunch that day. He's made the provision of her to be able to take home more than she could have possibly taken home without his kindness. She probably looked at her little jar that she brought to put the grain in after she beat it out. Thought, oh no, you need more than that. He's a generous man. And so she's taking this stuff and they're putting it out and saying to the men, don't rebuke her. And don't let any of the other women do it, but don't rebuke her. He's setting her apart. Y'all see that? He's setting her apart with his kindness and his love, his loyalty, his desire to do that which is good, to do right. He was doing the right thing just by coming out to the field. He was being a good businessman, a good owner. And God provided an opportunity for him to show kindness to someone. Therefore, Boaz provided for Ruth. And Ruth provided for Naomi. And God provided for them all. And in verse 17, we see, this is, by, by the way, a new scene. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Now, there's some people that write in their commentaries, and they can give you exactly what they believe an ephah is. But I've read enough commentaries to learn, have learned one thing. Nobody knows how much an ephah is, okay? If you have the ESV right now, your note says about 22 liters, all right? They're just showing off to make you think that they know what an ephah is. But it was probably somewhere in that area. I'm going to give us a modern concept and say it was a five-gallon bucket full after she beat it all out. That's a whole lot of sheaves, by the way. When you consider how small a grain is, then you know that the jar that she had would have provided for a few days. 
But the five-gallon bucket that she had, by the way, she had to borrow that from Boaz, all right? That's going to take care of her for a while. The overflowing generosity of this man. God's feeding a widow, two widows, for days, perhaps weeks. She beat it out. It was an ephah, a barley. She took it up and she went to the city, Bethlehem. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Girl, what, I mean, did you have an implement and a tractor or what? How did you pull all this in? I mean, how many rows did they leave along the edges anyway? Those sure must have been some sloppy reapers. They left all sorts of stuff laying out. Naomi's shocked. That's what you see in the Word. Saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out her doggy bag and gave her the leftovers. That's what she did. You want this? And her mother-in-law was just blown away. And her mother-in-law said to her, where'd you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. She knows somebody has to show you favor. For you to be walking in here with a five-gallon bucket and a bag of leftovers. You know? Who did this? What happened? And here we find Hope in Naomi for the very first time since the death of her husband and her sons. Certainly that God had looked over his people and had listened and heard and had visited his people with a barley harvest with some hope. But by the time she got to Bethlehem, she was Mara, bitter. Here comes Ruth in with a haul. Where'd this come from? Who showed you this favor? He has this hope for life now. Why? Because someone named Ruth, out of loyalty, exercised industry, out of love and kindness for her mother-in-law, and another good man demonstrated his integrity, and his love that is built into him in providing for her. And what happens? Someone sees hope. She sees hope. Where'd you go? What'd you do? So she told her mother-in-law, uh, look there in verse 19, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has said, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Stop right there. Whose kindness. May he be blessed by the Lord. She's talking about Boaz there. 
didn't you? Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead? Whose kindness? Because two are mentioned in that previous section. May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord. Whose kindness, the Hebrew doesn't tell us. It's ambiguous as to who, whose is. I'm not sure that was right, but you know what I mean. I submit to you that it's both. Why is that? Because God uses the hesed of men doing the actions that go along with the people of God that is characterized by those who are redeemed by Him. God uses those actions to provide for others. Both are true. The kindness of the Lord and the kindness of Boaz are seen in that text right there. Oh, now we see the intertwining of the providence of God and the activity and actions of men. We actually see it all the way through, but we see it explicitly right there. So she's, she's saying, blessed is the Lord and blessed is Boaz who have shown kindness to you. And she was showing kindness to Naomi, Ruth was. That's not the only hope. The only hope is not the bucket of grain. It's also that name, Boaz. Naomi's going, Boaz, Boaz, Boaz. There's hope again. More hope. Steadfast hope. Enduring hope. This grain's going to run out, but this guy, he's a redeemer. That's what's going on in Naomi. This guy, he could be our provision in an enduring way. He's a redeemer. I mean, she's seeing this from a place of hopelessness. And in one day, folks, one day, one day of a young woman deciding, I'm going out there and I'm going to get us some food. And coming back in after having found favor in a man's eyes, comes back loaded with Grain, but also with a name. His name is Boaz. And I want you to know there is a Redeemer whose name is Jesus. And there is no other name by which we must be saved under heaven except the name of Jesus. He is our Redeemer. And Naomi is seeing for the first time this great hope of life. Talking life, of being able to live. A couple of things I want to just mention in application for us. 
this day, it was a better day than she anticipated it being. You realize that, right? The day that she lived, the day for Naomi, the day for, it was a better day than any of them anticipated. Wasn't a lot of hope in any of them, perhaps. Maybe Boaz, he had the feeling. But it turned out to be a better day than they expected it to be. It didn't turn out at all like she thought. You don't know how that day began? Someone just getting up and determining they're going to do the right thing. I'm sorry, I have no bigger point than that. But that's it. Ruth got up and decided, I'm going to do the right thing today. Boaz got up that day. I'm going to do the right thing today. I'm going to go out to my field. I'm going to check on my reapers and see how big the harvest is, how things are going. Are they going to get it in before it rots on the vine? He was just living life. He was doing what a good businessman does. He had grown up with integrity and the word of God. And he knew what he ought to do. And he went and he did what he ought to do. I have no bigger point than that. God uses our decision and our actions of just simply deciding we're going to do the right thing. To bless the lives of other people. He does it consistently. There are other ways that God exercises his providence. But that is a day by day way he does it. Just by people deciding I'm going to do the right thing. Hey when you wake up tomorrow. Have it in your heart and your mind. You know what today. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm just going to go and do the right thing. Whatever that is. Going to obey my mom and my dad. I'm going to do what they expect me to do without them telling me to do it. I'm going to go to my job and I'm going to do my job to the very best of my ability. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it right. When I see somebody that has a need, I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them do their job right. I have no bigger point than that. God uses our obedient actions of every day to make provision for us and for others. I want you to know there are people out there in the world in which we live, at your workplace, they're your neighbors, wherever they may be, and they have this cynicism about them. And they see that this world is a terrible place. And let me tell you something. They, like Naomi, are not expecting your kindness. It's a world full of people that are not expecting you to be kind to them. Naomi was a foreigner. Probably one of the reasons that the men may have advanced on her a little bit. 
She didn't have a dad there. She didn't have a mom there. She didn't have any family there. There was no clan around her. She was expecting trouble. She knew the risk. She went out there anyway. Hey, you know what? Tomorrow and even today, there's somebody out there that's not expecting your kindness. Be kind to them. The New Testament sees all this in a few phrases that we see consistently. Love one another. Care for one another. Be at peace with one another. Do good to those who hate you. Let me take a moment just to say this. Some of you are out there and maybe you know or you're in a season of hopelessness. You just don't see how it's going to work out. You just don't see how God can remedy this. Let me just point you to this. The remedy for your hopelessness is the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves. He is the one who makes new. He is the one who redeems. No matter what your circumstance is right now, I assure you, He can save you and He can redeem you forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for how good you are and how providing that you are and how wonderfully, Lord, you give to us life. And we see, Lord, through our life, we can look back and we can see people who have shown kindness to us and you used them, Lord, to point us to the cross. You used them, Lord, to help us and to shape us as disciples. You used them to make provision and to provide for us things that we needed for sustenance. Father, we can look back on our life and know that we did not get where we are by ourselves and without the help and the kindness and the loyalty, the hesed of relationships, kindness. Lord, I pray we would not take that for granted, but it would fill our hearts with rejoicing to know that you have loved us in such a way. Through Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given us. And we thank you, God, that it never ends. Not even death will separate us from your provision. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.